Hey guys, welcome back to Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. I'm Chris Bircher. Thanks for tuning in to what is episode six. Uh, Today's I'm going to talk about maleness, and I guess under the general umbrella of gender, uh, from a heterosexual male white perspective. Just to share a little bit about my thoughts on this subject, because it's you know with the Me Too movement, and I mean this is something that's always on my mind, and I think I grew up a little bit differently, and anyway, I want to share my perspectives and ask you for your input, and that's a big part of this. I think I have everything organized by the time this comes out. Certainly, to where my webpage, www.chrisbercher.com, is my home base, and on this webpage, you should find a email subscription pop-up when you get there, and that's where you know I'm trying to, to build a community, and of course, you can you can comment on YouTube videos. You can go to my Facebook posts, um, which come directly from my webpage for the most part, and and participate in conversation there. But if this is something that you uh, are picking up on, or you, you you're sort of thinking in the same realm as what I'm saying, I've already identified a couple of you guys. I'm I'm ex- extremely gr- grateful for that. You know, I, I want to know you. I, I want to. I want your ideas to 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 influence my ideas, and and, and I'm really looking to build this virtual community and your participation is is why I'm doing it. So, uh episode 6 maleness. You know, I'm a little bit different and let, let me I guess sort of kick this off by you know, I'm inspired by the the idea of what it means to be male uh and and, and sort of indirectly with, with zero sort of expertise or first-hand knowledge what it means to be female uh, across the 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 sort of the gender spectrum you know everything in between the endpoints of male and female, everything between the homosexual and heterosexual, all of it, and and all I can tell you is my perspective. Um, uh, I certainly know people across the continuum. I'm friends with people across the continuum, and I don't really have any prejudice. And, and I like to think that this is certainly this is a judgment-free zone. Um, and so I, I talk about what I know, and I don't know a lot about what it's like to be gay or trans or any of those things. Um, but I can sympathize. And empathize to the best of my ability, and I want to know more about that and sort of how all that stuff fits in with these, um, with my perspective on these issues, and what and sort of what, one of the things that inspired this episode was listening to Armchair Expert, one of my favorite podcasts with Dax Shepard and Monica Padman, and they Dax has these rules. In the most recent one, he was interviewing Fifty Cent, uh, and he was talking about growing up. The handbook that he got when he was 12, which of course wasn't a literal handbook, but the societal norms that he observed and learned, and this is true for a lot of people, about being male were be able to beat people up, have a bunch of money, um, have a bunch of women and a bunch of sex, and be able to do the most drugs and, and drink you know, to demonstrate your power and sort of this, and you know, there's a lot of der- derivations and variations on this theme, but you know, what it meant to be male growing up for me in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and Dax, you know, we're almost the same age, and and, and people in America, you know, we, we have these societal norms that we're taught, and we're not really taught, where we see and we mirror these things, particularly from our fathers and from, and from um, other males in our lives, and we are the result of that. And, I, and for some reason, I've never been, I've always questioned those norms, I guess, that I observed. And, and I feel like, you know, I was raised by my mom and dad. They're still married. And my dad was an authoritarian, sort of a sort of a emotionless, stoic worker guy, you know, kind of typical uh, American household. And my mom was a homemaker, stay-at-home mom, caregiver. And she was a soft kind of a pushover. And, and I'll, I'll talk about this more in the future, but I see sort of him as being the narcissist and she was the codependent and this is what I mirrored off of and, and I, I always in therapy would say, well, I had two choices. I had the choice to be an asshole like my dad or to be a pushover like my mom and depending on the scenario, I sort of can do both but I certainly lean, lean more on the mama's boy, uh, soft-hearted codependent than on the narcissist but uh, you know what I learned is, is both techniques and sometimes... Um, I guess being like my dad has its benefits, uh, and certainly being more like my mom has had its costs, but that's for future stories. I just want to sort of set up the, I learned how to be male 
and kind of the way that there's a lot of um, talk now about what's wrong with the American male. And um, Liz Plank, I can't remember the name of her book now, has just written a great book describing this new masculinity or or you know the gro- the old grotesque masculinity or whatever you want to call it. It's it's a paradigm that there is a movement uh, to try to change. And it ha- you know I thought Dax captured it pretty well. You know how to be a man in America. Uh, is what we learned worked from other men, but you know what? It, it doesn't really work for everybody, especially if you're not a white male. <laughs> um, so there's this there's this idea of the strong, tough, fighting, drinking, you know, emotionless, womanizing male that's uh, rich. That's the model of success. That right or wrong, I think a lot of men are trying to, boys are trying to mirror, live up to, and I'm not sure that it's all that good. And so when I was talking to my therapist one time about um, sex and sort of having sex and um, permission to have sex and sort of my, I guess my take on women, I said something that I thought was pretty normal. And I said, look, you know, growing up, my whole sexual experience, a woman had to beat me over the head that she wanted to have sex before I would feel comfortable with it. And, you know, somewhere in there is sort of this, you know, a a sad person looking for the other person's permission or whatever. And if you think about that, you know, who wants to be in a relationship with somebody who never initiates sex or, or whatever, there's a lot of bad things that could be associated with that. But she was sort of like jaw on the floor because I don't think she had ever heard a man say that. And I thought that was bizarre because I, you know, I know a lot of men who are are um, not looking to be womanizers, I guess, for lack of a better term. And for me, it was just sort of like uh, I didn't want to do anything wrong. Um, and sex is so weird because there's communication. And I just really wasn't very good at that. So I just simply erred on the side of... of um, being absolutely positive that that, that that this was okay before it was going to happen, uh, which meant that it, it didn't happen a lot, <laughs> a lot but whatever. Um, and so there, that sort of sums up briefly my attitude towards women that, or towards towards something that I would take from women. And I certainly, it never occurred to me to be mean or to strike fear or. Or some a lot of the things that women are rightfully afraid of, um, you know, to, to use my physical prowess to gain something, you know, I just never, I never looked at any relationship like that, much less a sexual relationship or uh, otherwise relationship with a woman. You know, something like sexual harassment—it's just always been a part of my conscious. Like, I got to be careful. I don't want things to be interpreted the wrong way. I mean, I'm just like that anyway. It, not specifically with when it comes to that. Um, but so I'll talk, I, I think, exploring this topic from my perspective, um, I don't know, um, it needs to get out there. You know, not, A, not all men are chauvinistic bastards, um, you know, at the, at the least. And I'm just throwing my two cents in there. And, you know, you could look at me two different ways. Mama's boy, wimp, wuss, pushover, codependent, you know, you know, I, I, sure, a lot of those terms maybe rightfully apply, but I've just always taken that conservative approach to conflict. Um, you know, I, I think I embody more traits I learned from my mom than I learned from my dad. Does that make me feminine? I mean, that's just a dumb way to look at it. I think both genders or all the genders and across the spectrum have elements of all of these very human traits. And so Somewhere in here is a bigger discussion about gender in general, and I guess in a, one of my umbrella positions on that issue is that there, there are fewer things that are uniquely male or uniquely female than we let on. I think there's so much overlap uh, from a simple biological standpoint, um, you're not even counting external genitalia, but hormones and things like that. You know, we're more, more alike than we are different. Now, having said that, I think the the more female or the more male personality are pretty different. And uh, and one of my general pet peeves is in, in order to be successful over the last 20 or 30 years, um, women have had to basically be like men to get ahead. And I just wish that wasn't the case because I think we need more 
women that are more bring on the the, the feminine qualities or, or or female qualities. The lack of some of these chauvinistic attitudes or the opposite into things like politics and business, and, and I think we do better. And if they're simply just behaving like men, then it really isn't like we have uh, um, a different gender representative in in whatever field that is. And, and sort of a, another preface, I guess I'll say, is that uh, I have been married twice and both to professional women who uh, sort of entered male-dominated fields uh, and tried to find success. And, 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 and I think, and I don't want to speak for them, but in some ways had to fight like a man or, you know, or, um, you know, to succeed in a male-dominated world isn't easy. It's not like the doors were wide open, inviting them to be themselves and come in. I think they had to make some necessary sacrifices. And then one of the things that I've seen in my academic career specifically is that once um, women achieved the goals of their career, which are you know hard and and time-consuming, and a lot of them didn't date. You know, they would hit 30, 35, and say, "Oh crap." I've never dated, I don't have any familial skills, but now I have the urge to have a family. And what do I do? And 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 how women navigate that is just exceptionally hard because men don't have to do that or never have had to do that. Uh, and I think, you know, I look at, I, you know, sometimes I call it the ERA, like the ERA movement, the Women's Lib movement or whatever, this... this um, resurgence of the presence of femininity in American society anyway. Uh, you know, I look at it as happened in the last hundred years or so from sort of the beginning of the women's suffrage movement all the way through um, the uh, right to vote and abortion and and now Me Too is sort of just trying to fight for an equivalent uh, position in society uh, which is, a, you know, same thing with non-whites. I mean, it's just a horrible thing that that fight has to happen and that, and we're not just automatically welcoming to all of these different positions. I mean, I just don't even know what to do with that, but, but that's not what I want to talk about today. Uh, so I guess I welcome more female energy into the world and and from what I can say is that one of the ways that I know I can relate to that we can do that is for males to embrace their feminine side. I mean, this is such a stupid 70s, 80s thing to say, right? That's, um, And one of the ways we do that is simply not trying to mirror these outdated uh, cues about what it means to be male. There you go. I think by doing this stuff, we have a, a, it's a, it's a better world. Because um, I don't know that women have the same fight of trying to uh, subscribe to more masculine qualities, except for what I said about um, the workplace. I mean, I think definitely women have had to be more male, be mean and tough and, and, and work 90 hours a week and forego family and those sort of things to be successful. And that's not good. Um, so I'm, I'm really looking to, to sort of take the best of both of, of the, take the best of the, uh, whatever identities and traits we can s- subscribe to the gender spectrum and sort of say, just forget about all that stuff. What are what are elements that make us better people? And so one of the ways I think we can do that is dispel some of, further dispel, continue to fight the fight, dispelling the myths about masculinity. Maybe that's what it is. Uh, and, and so some of the easy ones for me are, are sex. Like I remember growing up and, and being very interested in sex and wanting to have sex, but being terribly afraid of women and wanting love and all those other things too. I mean, to me, those things were always intermingled. I've never really seen sex without love as a thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just didn't, I was afraid. I didn't have the skill set. I My belief system was such that if I was going to be that sort of intimate with per, a person, it was going to have to be a relationship. And, you know... I'm just not, I don't, I'm not good at having uh, friends with benefits sort of relationships. No big deal. But that's just the perspective that I was coming from. I wanted sex. I wanted to do it, but I was terribly afraid. And I didn't know how to navigate the waters. And again, I'd rather err on the side of being conservative 
than make a whole bunch of mistakes and screw things up because this is another person that you're dealing with. I had a respect for that. I don't know why. Um, but I also had fear. You know, it was, it was not altruistic. I was selfishly afraid and so avoided these relationships. Part of that was also that I simply just... I knew there was a lot of weight, and I wasn't the only person involved in that, and so it was necessarily scary. Uh, but one of the things that was floating around, you know, when I was a teenager was this idea of blue balls, and I just, I just think that's such a funny thing. Uh, and then secondarily, this idea that um, men uh, evolutionarily had to have sex with everything that moved because that's what we did. We make billions of sperm every day, and so we are just go around and fertilize things, and so it's really hard to stay monogamous or it's really hard to not have sex or it's, you know, that's something we have to do because of millions of years of evolution. We, there's an excuse to act like a caveman. Um, those two things are just, I think it's, it's, it's so absurd and that anyone still adds a whole lot of weight to that. Um, man, you don't have to, <laughs> don't buy it. And so the blue balls thing, you know, yes, if you become, aroused and worked up to the point of orgasm it's you you, you want it really bad right and so if, if a girl were to say no at some point or whatever and give you these blue balls or I mean, it, but dude you can control that i mean come on men learn to control that that isn't a thing yes it's uncomfortable but it's not that's up to the man to be uncomfortable part of playing the game is, is that situation occurring and you being able to go, cool, um, you know, sucks, but all right. I, you know, it's like in the movies when you see the girl who doesn't want to go all the way and the one boy will get mad and throw fit and, you know, he's the bad boyfriend. But the nice guy that she meets will finally say, no, it's okay, We I will do it when you're ready. Uh, and uh, I don't know, that that's more appropriate, I think. Uh, and certainly... Needing to have an orgasm is not an excuse um, to make a woman do something she doesn't want to do. Or, or a man or, or, or someone who's on the gender spectrum. I mean, I, I don't know whether this applies to everybody, but I'm, I'm sure it's probably more common um, across all types of people than I think. And that's also something that I tell my daughters. This whole idea of sitting on your porch with a shotgun, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. Yes, I know that there are men out there who are going to tell my daughters they have blue balls so they have to have sex with them or whatever. But my hope is that my daughters and all women have enough courage uh, to know that that's not true. Um, you know, and the esteem to say that I don't have to do something I don't want to do. And that's basically what I tell my daughters. You know, I don't want you to do something because you think somebody else wants you to do it, to be sort of pressured into doing something that you're not sure of but if you want to do something and you're pretty sure of it then within all you know the the, the spectrum of safety and, and and all those other things i think i don't have any problem with it but this idea that whole shotgun thing man it just kill, and i just want to i just want to punch people when they tell me that oh i go out with four daughters you know and some people will say oh you better get on the porch with your shotgun i mean think about what that implies that women, my daughters specifically, are so weak that they can't make their own decision about a situation. Maybe they want to have sex with a boy. Maybe they are smart enough to have safe sex. Maybe they're emotionally ready. Um, all those other things. I, I, I'm not going to assume that about somebody. Now, if they're eight years old or something, it's, you know, I'm talking about the age of consent. Um, that is just so absurd. Then that I would want to threaten someone with a gun to keep them away from what that's my role, protector of women. I mean, to a certain extent, I, I, I get behind that. I, sort of like the women are, are, are not as strong as men and therefore feel threatened uh, in situations around them. Sure, okay. In some situations, I've would step up and try to protect uh, the women in my family or the men in my life, for God's sakes. But the absurdity that the woman couldn't make her own decision, can't protect herself, is basically just a hopeless idiot that has to be protected by somebody with a shotgun to keep something as harmless as an 18-year-old boy away. Now, I, and I know that that's 
18-year-old boys can be rapists and, and really bad. Uh, but I'm not going to assume that they're all like that. I, I know how I was. Uh, I was motivated by sex, but I, I was appreciative and respectful about it. Surely there are men out there who were like me. And, and, and that's a big part of my point. You know, we're out here, and there's a lot of people out here. We're not all like Harvey Weinstein or whoever is in, you know, um, Trump, Joe Biden. I don't know. Uh, that's, that's just not a thing with some people. And I don't know how you tell, and you certainly have to be careful and protective, but I don't think you need a man on the porch with a shotgun uh, or a chastity belt uh, to protect you. I hope that I have empowered my daughters with a mind that can be aware, protective, but open, and the esteem to make a decision and not be afraid of hurting somebody's feelings or not doing what she's supposed to do or being the conduit for semen that the boy tells her that is her role, right? That's the best I can do with that. Uh, and this whole thing with millions of years of evolution, a good friend of mine one time is just like, man, I cheated on my girlfriend, but I can't help it, man, because I'm just, you know, I'm just... So horny, and, and that's just how men are, and monogamy is impossible, and all the skunks aren't monogamous. And I mean, okay, so you know this uh, this idea of uh, our evolution as a gender species made me cheat on my girlfriend is just absurd. And, and so, okay, maybe it worked during part of human evolution. But certainly, okay, the theory is that there was a selective, there were natural selective forces making men or selecting for men who were more promiscuous and they were the ones that were successful. Okay, that was probably true for some period of time, but then as soon as we settled down to be a little bit more uh, stable, you know, when we went from nomadic roamers to more like cave dwelling or, you know, having settlements and agriculture and things like that, which, you know, 10,000 years ago, maybe in 10,000 years time, you don't think domiciliary living uh, between traditional male and female partners and familial groups lessened the selective pressures for men to be promiscuous. I I don't know. So, and you don't think 10,000 years is, is, a meaningful time frame, even a thousand years. Um, now, I certainly don't think men in recent times, last couple hundred years, have been uh, exhibiting to a large degree the habits of being more monogamous. You know, I still think it's an excuse that men use because we want to have sex with more than one person, and we, you know, we want the benefits of familial life, but we don't want the the constraints of traditional monogamy on us be, you know, and we use this thing as a, as a excuse. Anyway, I guess I can't argue that one super effectively. Certainly evolution has influenced our behavior. I'm not going to deny that. And certainly as long as humans or hominid species have been around, there have been selection pressures like uh, sexual selection, mate selection. And one of these pressures was probably that, um, but it has to do with parental care. If you look at ecology, parental care evolves in lots of different ways and lots of different species across a pretty broad spectrum from, you know, pop some eggs out, have them fertilized in some way to, you know, internal gestation for nine months and uh, giving birth to a baby that can't take care of itself for multiple years. So along with parental care, uh, the family unit, you know, sort of, mother and father, if you will, male and female uh, roles in those um, situations has changed. If someone's going to argue that there was no selection pressure for males to be good mates, good fathers, good husbands, if you whatever, before there was marriage, whatever they were called, that's wrong. I mean, there were selection pressures in both ways. And I think we are the result today of multiple selection pressures, not just the selection pressure to fertilize as many uh, warm eggs as possible. That's I ain't buying it, and you shouldn't either. So, blue balls, uh, and, um, 
non-monogamy, you know, those, those just aren't reasons uh, to alter your behavior. You have the choice and the ability as a male um, <laughs> to control that crap. So enough of that. I'm done. You know, and one of the one of the other elements of maleness that uh, has affected me is that, and again, there's rules in order to be a good male, whatever that means. Um, you have to do these certain things. You have to have a lot of sex. Uh, you have to have a lot of money. That's the next thing. And you know, being a good male is only important from a single male's perspective to about, it's about what the other males think of you. Right. I mean, to a certain point it's sexual selection. You want to impress and look good for females and you want to win them. So you got to be tough and you got to be rich and you got to be an asshole or, or whatever it is that we think we've got to do. Part of that is to impress the uh, gender that you're trying to have a relationship, sexual relationship with or whatever be out of friendship. But the other part is also trying to impress your other male friends. So, I mean, I admit to being envious or jealous, I'm not sure which one of those is the better term, of my male friends that have highly successful jobs and can buy nice cars and sort of uh, run their lives financially by being the breadwinner. Because I historically haven't been a breadwinner um, in a relationship. Certainly when I'm single, when I'm single, I have been. And there were times when uh, the breadwinner role was shared fairly equally between uh, my partner, but for the most part, I've played a in a lot of ways the I've I've been the girl in the relationship, <laughs> you know. Um, but one of the ways that men can exhibit masculine prowess is by having a high paying job and buying nice cars and wearing nice suits and sort of looking the part of. Um, being a successful male, and, and 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 I don't know, that's probably fairly benign, um, except for the fact that with respect to work, and this is probably a subject for another podcast, uh, and will be, work sort of trumps everything else. So men, and and I and I call this the '50s dad syndrome. Men have excused having to go to work, um, or use the excuse having to go to work for a lot of independence. Uh, a life outside the home, um, and it's all sort of driven by the fact that they were the breadwinners. They've we have used the breadwinner position as a power play in some ways by saying, "I make the money. We have to have money. This family runs on money. I'm the one that does that. Therefore, I get all these other privileges. You know, I have to leave an hour early for work. I had to go to a working lunch. I've got to go on a business trip." Um, it gives you a lot of outside the family unit power that isn't playing the role of husband, caretaker, uh, child rearer, parent uh, in the same way as the parent that stays home. And I, and I have a lot of particular interest in this because I chose to be a stay-at-home dad, forego a successful career simply because I subscribe to that model um, in the two professional parents model was too challenging for me. So in another way, I, I didn't, I wasn't altruistic about staying home with my kids. I mean, I just, I couldn't do it and it seemed like a better option. Um, but I've always been, I've always longed for the permissive nature of having the breadwinner role because it seems to get you a life <laughs> whereas the primary caregiver, the life centers largely around child rearing if you're in a family with um, children, and to a lesser extent, I guess, um, homemaking, whatever that means, you know, or making your mate dinner when they come home from work, um, you know, being flexible with all of the scheduling around the working partner, the breadwinner schedule. You know, there are a lot of secondary um, roles that the non-breadwinner plays in a relationship and I, sometimes I think that's by design, you know, going back to the 50s dad thing, you know, 50s dads, you know, mowed the grass and drank beer and watched TV and read the paper while their partner did all the real work. You know, obviously it's a stereotype and I'm just sort of using that as an example, but we talk about 50s dads a lot and I try to, to not be the 50s dad and, and to me, I've always been driven by an equitable partnership. You know, I watched what my parents did and watched my mom wait on my dad hand and foot and watched my dad sort of 
take that for granted and, you know, be sort of abusive about it. You know, why is spaghetti for dinner again? It wasn't very good. You know, it's just sort of like, come on. And I think my mom told me one time she would sleep late while dad went into work. And he said, you know, if I'm going to work and have the job, you're going to get up and make me breakfast. That's sort of the way it works. So that, that what I'm getting at is this very traditional roles of males and females in a relationship family type unit. And I guess if you're not in a family type unit, this pertains to dating. And if you're asexual and single, then, then none of that applies to you. And you sort of are the master of your own domain. And, and that's fine. I'm just <clears throat> coming again at this from my perspective and what I know. And I tell you, uh, for me, it would have been much easier just to go to work. <laughs> After being a stay-at-home dad for you know three kids, two years apart, up till they went into public school, basically, <sighs> with a little bit of daycare help here and there, um, it's the hardest job I've ever had. And I, when I went back to work, I started calling work a hobby. You know, people that work have a cool hobby that gets them money, um, that keeps them from having to do the real work which is take care of your kids. And, you know, you look at COVID and one of the biggest problems with what we're experiencing with COVID right now is school's not being open and daycare's being closed and everybody's forced to be home and take care of their kids. And that's a real problem. And, and the flip side of that, and this is a, probably another podcast, uh, is that we want there to be schools and daycares because we need help. We need the larger families the family system where grandparents, cousins, aunts and uncles, all the, all those people helped. It takes a village and daycare and school represent those villages. Now, whether or not those are the best representations of those roles, I, I'm not going to discuss that now. Um, but it's <laughs> child rearing is incredibly hard. And that role has fallen primarily on women uh, for that has dominated the human family unit, I would guess, uh, for a long time. And there are, like everything, there are exceptions to those rules, but I'm generalizing because that's where most of the people, that's the space most people occupy, and those are the issues that we talk about. And how can we do those better? Um, my wife and I now, we try. she tries really hard to let me have a life. I work part-time, and I work around her schedule, and, you know, but what what... A 50s mom would have done, or 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000, you know, uh, I play that mom role. And there's something not masculine about that. What's masculine is being a powerful money earner or, or you know, a tough mechanic or, you know, blue-collar laborer uh, because you're providing uh, for your family. And, I, and all I'm saying is hidden somewhere in that is, is an excuse to stay away from the really hard part <laughs> of the relationship, uh, which is taking care of your spouse's needs and, and your kids' needs and um, driving, for God's sakes, driving kids everywhere before they can drive and, and all those things. That's way harder, and uh, everybody should know that. And so the excuse of having to go to work is a... Is a blessing as much as it is a curse. I know some jobs suck really bad. I've had jobs that were worse than staying at home, um, certainly, but not as soul crushing. <laughs> anyway, my point is, it's masculine to have a powerful, high money career, and I don't necessarily think it should be. Uh, it's more masculine to be able to play all of the roles. Uh, it's more masculine to be equitable. It's more masculine to be fair. It's more masculine to be vulnerable. It's more masculine to be present in your the people's lives that you've chosen to be a part of, uh, and not you, and, yeah, and not to take up opportunities to avoid not, <clears throat> and to not avoid that. <clears throat> I guess is all I'm saying. But. Part of this, and I've heard people say this, is that there has to be a leader in a relationship. So an equitable relationship is in many ways not a biblical thing. Uh, I've been told, and I, I'm, I'm not a Bible scholar, and I don't really know that uh, a lot of the Bible says that the man should be the leader of the family unit and make the decisions and, 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 and probably earn the money and uh, 
sort of tell the family what to do and, and, and guide them through with his set of rules, and the woman should be obedient to that. And so a part of this, it's masculine to work thing, is also it's feminine to be submissive in order to support that. And I got to admit, that model works really well. Um, a man that works and is taken care of and coddled so that they can be healthy and mentally able to go to work and basically get whatever needs they have met so that they can continue to work so that the family has money. That, that, that is a functional um, or has been a functional uh, way to live your life except for the fact that women, I think, got tired of it. It became so polarized and so non-equitable and so um, male-driven uh, that it sort of started to fall apart. And I, and I think one could argue, and I certainly would, and not in too much detail, that that family unit uh, has its problems that need to be addressed in order for it to work effectively in today's world. Part of that is women want more and want careers and, and want to share um, those aspects of life that are fulfilling. And I think that we should be open to doing that. Um, and I think if the tables were turned and a lot of stay at home dads out there are doing wonderfully, uh, and a lot of them like myself aren't. And so I think if people knew and understood all of the things that are required to live a life as a, with kids or, uh, with a partner, um, and understood both perspectives, we might be able to sit down and discuss what works and what doesn't. And we might be able to go into marriages with a better idea of what to expect and, you know, have these discussions up front and that might help alleviate some problems. And one of those things I think is for men to let go of the, you know, lazy boy, uh, lawnmower working 70 hours a week to stay out of the house sort of mentality. That's all I'm saying. But, uh, but I think there is something biblical about that. And so there are, my point with that is that there are societal pressures beyond just what men think they're supposed to be doing, um, including religion, that are persuading us to continue uh, this sort of approach. And, and, and I'm just I'm open for something different. And, and, I'm, and I'm trying that, uh, something different now. And so, so what kind of roles are, were those 50s dads not living up to, I guess? And one of those things is, is the, uh, what kind of father you're going to be. And, 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 and certainly research and pe- people say it's important for kids to have a father figure uh, role model. And, and, I'll, and I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because single parents can raise kids just fine. A lot of evidence for that. I think that's just something that we say. I think the point is... <sighs> a child benefits from having more than one role model, you know, and having um, different representations of, of reality from multiple perspectives is better than a single perspective in whatever you're doing. You know, it teaches kids to, to be open to multiple perspectives and it teaches kids that there's a vari- variability in the way you do things and there's a continuum and that there's more than one way to do things and all those things. So I, I, I just think that if you have kids, then you should – uh, a lot, some amount of time to them, uh, and, and however you want to do that. And I'm not about to start prescribing specific actions that I think people should do, but I think there should be some attention paid. And if you are using work as an excuse, um, cause that's the thing about working dads, you know, I don't see them parenting if they have kids, and all the time that they're not working, they're golfing and, and doing all these other things too. So it's, I'm just saying, spend some time with your kids, spend some time with your partner, spend some time with your friends, um, accept your role and the responsibilities that you've taken. Because I think men using work as an excuse have avoided a lot of other responsibilities, non-selfish responsibilities and, and tend to be tend to have been and can be more selfish than we need to be. Uh, now, I'm on the other end of that spectrum where I'm probably a little too unselfish and, and not, again, in some altruistic way where I'm some wonderful person, just that I am such a codependent giver that sometimes I don't <clears throat> know how to make time for myself. Um, 
which is very important because just like the oxygen mask in the plane, you know, you got to take care of yourself first. So money, sex, power, um, these all should be shared. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. And I don't think it's, I don't think there are any one gender or partner or type person's right. Uh, And I think that there are benefits to power and money and sex and all those things that should be enjoyed by everyone to some degree equitably. And I think it's time for this discussion that we're having as people about masculine roles, uh, about feminine roles, about family. And it's really time to question the motives of the people that made these rules in the first place, all white men, by the way, um, and sort of set these up. And then secondarily question the constructs that support these rules to perpetuate them. Because in the, in the most selfish scenario in my mind, and I know it isn't like this all the time, but let's just straw man exaggeration of the point. Man gets married because he wants to have sex. Has kids because that's what you do. You know, there's a you know a genetic drive to become immortal by passing your genes on. That's a whole other topic. Um, gets a job because they want money, and then really wants to avoid all the responsibilities and all the things that you don't want to do. There's things you don't want to do. If I can avoid those, then I'm a better person. Uh, I win the fight, and I can only do selfish things that I want to do all the time. You know, work sucks bad enough, so when I'm not working, I'm going to do whatever I want. That is a way to aspire to live. And so I think some men have created an environment for that, to nurture their own personal needs um, and have someone else take care of all the shit. Who wouldn't want to live like that? And all I'm saying is that's not fair to the people who are taking care of all the shit. So take care of some of your shit. <laughs> um, that this talking about masculinity has really raised, as I mentioned, three or four issues that are probably worth their own whole podcast. But if I can sort of re-encapsulate what I'm trying to say is, um, well, well, first let me visit let me re- revisit this. So whose fault is it? And, and I'm not trying to place blame, but you can't just say all oh, men have to change because. The support system that perpetuates this inequality is also enabled by partners, including women. So if a woman lets a man get get away with dumb shit, part of that's on them. So I'm not saying to all men out there, hey, you got to change how you are. I'm saying to everybody out there, if if fairness is what we want, if equality is what we want, then we're both going to have to make some compromises. And... And, and, and yet another podcast episode idea I have uh, talks about winning and competition, which I, I, I did last week. But one artifact of that is, you know, do you, do you want to be right? Do you want to win? Or do you want to live a better life? And I think a lot of the fights that we have in trying to have relationships, like family relationships, partner relationships, spouse relationships, um, are about winning a fight, being right. And most of the time that's at the cost of any kind of compromise or personal growth. And I think if we look at what people want, if we learn to communicate better, if we reduce the effectiveness of some of these societal norms that probably need to be changed, like a man's role, what masculinity is, what femininity is, blur those lines a little bit more and accept the fact that we're just people, we can have, we can, we can come to a conversation with a more open mind and be open to non-traditional outputs. Uh, outcomes. So me, I mean, you know, when people see me out with the kids, they would think, oh, isn't that sweet? Mommy needed a break. Daddy's That's like, this is what I do. You know, I got so much weird energy from people as a stay-at-home dad. There were very few people who were like, hey, that's cool. You know, it was all like, gee, what? You're, that's strange, weird. What are you doing? You're, you know, from some men, it was sort of like, you're breaking down the construct, man. You know, don't, you're making us all look bad. Don't do that. You know, from, um, just so strange how 
hard set these norms are in our society that just to see a man out with his kids raises that kind of result or seeing him out with four girls and seeing get a shotgun. I mean, it's like these, these norms are strong. These, um, these roles are powerful and it's hard. There are, there are what my point is, I'm, I'm not some super wonderful human being for being able to make these choices. It's difficult, but I mean, to me, everything's difficult. And if you want to get better at being people, you know, you're going to have to be uncomfortable sometimes. I used to have to tell my students, you know, I, I envision people as being surrounded by this bubble that we call our comfort zone. And whenever we get close to the edge of our comfort zone, we sort of retract and that's what keeps all these norms in line. That's what keeps everybody sort of behaving in predictable ways so that you don't see a man out with four daughters and have to go, ar, ar, that doesn't fit with my thing. It doesn't look right. I, I got to come up with some, I have to acknowledge to him that this is out of place, you know, because it makes me feel uncomfortable. But what I try to tell my students is when you feel yourself pushing up against the edge of your comfort zone, and you know it because you become uncomfortable you come up with some triggered response like "better get a shotgun," you know, um, or whatever. You know, you, you can learn to recognize when you're at the edge of your comfort zone. And my point with being able to recognize that the beauty is then saying, "Let's go through it. Let's push beyond our comfort zone and see what that feels like." And that's how things are going to change. And my my friend Paul introduced me to this concept, which I had heard in Buddhism before. He, he he uses the word attachment a lot, and and that a lot of the reasons that people are resistant to change is because we're so attached to our belief systems um, that we maybe never even questioned. And one of the beautiful things about that comfort zone idea is that you can learn to recognize. And and I'm learning this. He he gave me a word to put with what I'm trying to do and what I sense sometimes, and that is some things that we're attached to like especially old beliefs, things we believe to be true, like a man must beat people up to be tough and, and to get women and to have sex. Uh, we believe those things, um, and we can't really pinpoint where we learned them or if we were taught them or it's just something with that society, whatever. Um, we, we have these beliefs, but, but, but those beliefs don't have any power. And that's his point. That's the point of attachment. What, what has power is our attachment to those ideas. And so if we, if we don't learn to recognize when we're attached, when we're uncomfortable, um, when, when we're, um, getting ready to, to automatically kick in this old belief system in uh, whatever situation we're in, um, if we don't learn to recognize that we're never going to change. And I think with things like attachment, when you feel yourself getting angry about something, when somebody says you're just a libtard, you know, that triggers an anger response in me or, or, or vice versa. You know, you're just some idiot right winger. Um, th- th- those are mean, um, but they, but they, but they, what they serve to do is not, is not helpful. It, what it does is both sides then become uncomfortable and it inf- enforces that attachment trigger that you say, you know, um, I, I have this belief system and I've got to feel more strongly about it. And I think that's part of the reason, and, and this is opening the door for a whole other th- idea talk I haven't even thought of yet, is um, that's kind of probably contributing to why we're so polarized. Both sides are so attached to their beliefs, and they don't really understand why and what they're doing. And so it's driving us farther and farther apart. And I think if there's it, it has... There, there are lots of men out there who understand this, who have become less attached to the societal norms of being a successful male, but we're not talking about it because it's, it's embarrassing because those societal norms are so strong and the attachment from some of those alpha male, typical male, um, lesser males out there are enforcing those rules so steadfastly. And because men do have the capacity to hurt, you know, through physical strength or, or money or, you know, jobs, um, that's not an encouraging environment for exploring new masculine rules. And I hope that that changes. And so, for all you men out there who are picking up any of the stuff that I'm laying down and there's, I didn't realize this was going to be such a broad topic in my head and it's hard for me to 
to organize my thoughts um, as well as I can sometimes, um, let me know and, and let other people know and talk to your friends. And when, you know, when you see and observe one of these 50s dads behaviors, you know, mark it. Uh, when you and 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 I, and I need to be better at this too, and I'm trying. Uh, when you feel your your comfort zone becoming sensitive, you know, think about that. What that means when you when you kick in an old belief system, or you feel angry about something, or somebody says something that makes you mad. Think about what that means to how you're attached to that, and and how that relates to these old beliefs that just don't work anymore, or these societal norms that you learned from somewhere that you've never really questioned. And, you know, the, the more we decide what's right, uh, the, the quicker we can make the world better. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I think that's good. But I really would like to hear from, from you know, from all, from all elements. You know, there are women out there who adamantly believe this, that are very supportive and want to be homemakers and want to make their husbands dinner every night and... And want to support them and, you know, almost live their lives, um, lives uh, to support a man in, in, a, in a masculine role or whatever. Um, and there are plenty of men out there who are taking the long way home every night or going to the bar on the way home simply because they want to avoid the difficulties of raising a family. Uh, and there are plenty of women out there who are tired of that. And there are pr plenty of men out there who are trying to be better. And I think that's probably the smallest group, but I want to hear from all of you. You know, what's your experience? Can we put all this stuff together um, and, and, and move forward in, in some beneficial way? Because, I, you know, I think it starts with hearing stories, um, hearing about other people that maybe agree with you or, or, or agree with you for the most part. At, at, some, at some, you know, even if it's just as simple as saying, we carry around these old beliefs that maybe weren't right. And can we talk about that and figure out how to be better? Because attachment's a hard thing to break. And maybe together we can do it. <laughs> so reach out to me at kplusesys at gmail.com, www.chrisbircher.com. Both of those will show up at the end of this video. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, feel free to comment below listen to it on a podcast you know please subscribe uh, or go to my webpage and uh, participate in the community um, that I'm trying to build thanks for your time guys and until next time Chris Bercher knowledge plus experience equals wisdom okay thanks